yeah, I mean, a little just, she's just not used to, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hate to use that word, but that's probably what it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, but yeah. I suppose neediness to some degree is why we all love dogs at the same time. Right. At, <laughs> least, at least I do. I like yeah, to be needed every happy. now and then. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I'm in the mood to be slow and careful. My body's ready for a mountain climb. All of a sudden it will all become lovely. The flower that opens in the morning light. Ooh. Well, cool. Let's get this going then. Um, so we are down. Uh, you were definitely going to just get at max the third gear version of this podcast. Uh, Matt has uh, definitely the energy uh, of our dynamic. Is, uh, <laughs> has has uh, he outran COVID for a full two years, but it finally uh, finally oh, caught up he, to him. That was okay. Um, but That's too bad. yeah, doing kind of very much like flu like turnover right now. One really bad day, and then seems to be already on the up and up. Oh, um, good to hear. Yeah. But in his stead, uh, we have Paul Arney from Ale Apothecary, and I, uh, I have so many questions, man. <laughs> yeah, it's just, but first, uh, thank you so much for, for doing this. I, my wife and I got married uh, a little over six years ago now, and we did sort of a road trip from San Francisco and kind of meandered up to Seattle. And um, I'm sure you hear this all the time, and it might even be to the point of being sick of it, but Bend was just it was easily the place i could we could both like look at each other and we're like man if like shit really went belly up with our brewery um yeah. this this could be seem like a great plan b to kind of restart life out here um are you are you born and raised in that area no no uh, i grew up uh north of seattle up in washington cool um yeah it's, i did went to college up in bellingham but no moved down we'd been through here uh multiple times and then um i had the opportunity to get a job at deschutes brewery back in back in my early days and that's what brought us here so yeah we got married and moved to bend within two weeks when we were like 24 oh, so man. it's like it was kind of like you know new chapter begin the whole life kind of a thing and so basically for all my adult life i've lived here in bend and um, cool. I, I share your sentiments, you know, like, yeah, this place is, this place is awesome. Um, and it's like, it's one thing to try and remember as, as, you know, as it's happening everywhere, right. Uh, places are growing, things are changing. And sometimes, you know, now that I'm a bit older, I don't want to turn into that crotchety guy. That's like, God damn it. When I was younger, you know, uh, and it's like, it's understandable, you know, this place is, this place is pretty amazing. And, you know, and on top of that, it's got amazing water and can support all these, uh, support all these breweries, you know? Yeah. Um, what for like my context, uh, do you, do you know, like the rough population off the top of your head? We're pushing a hundred thousand. Okay. Okay. That's about, I suppose what I would have guessed. Um, yeah. And I mean, for some context, you know, so in the mid nineties, when we moved here, uh, there was under 20,000. Wow. So yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's like, that has got some, uh, you know, there's definitely some, some growing pains that go along with that. And how can you possibly plan for that kind of thing? And, um, wow. but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I've ever heard of that, uh, like huge of a factor. Like I, you know, even Portland is certainly feels like it's growing at a rapid rate, but you know, decade over decade, we might, I would be surprised if like we ever hit a 20% jump in a, in a 10 year stretch. Yeah, um, where are you so, guys at now? Like how, how big is Portland? Um, I, around 70. Um, I okay. don't, I haven't looked at like, um, 
you know, I, I don't know if uh, the 2020 census numbers are like easy to access, but I'm not that into population where I, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going off off Wikipedia. Actually, you know, 84,722. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, that's just, that, is just another layer to um to i guess my contextualization of of everything you have going on um you've explained it very well in in other podcasts and also your blog sort of your your history uh with the shoots and i would normally kind of breeze over this part because i have so many other things i i want to get to but i am very curious in the sort of my personal context about your experience at uc davis because we um actually our last episode was with um we've we're kind of in the early stages of this um uh, an equity internship program. Um, oh, good. And, uh, this, uh, this woman who had, who basically was using that internship to also, um, cross off the internship requirement for the brewing program she's been at at Sacred Heart University. Um, okay. and her experience, like I kind of, cause I, early, early didn't really know if that was like the route you had to take. Uh, once I knew, okay, I want to do beer. Um, is, is school necessary for this? Like specific schooling? Yep. Yeah, Um, exactly. And, uh, she kind of came at it from a different place. It's more of like, I don't know what Davis was at the time, but this was uh, basically a year program, but everything she had to say about that sort of surprised me of like, damn, I wish that was around for me. And I mean, easier. It's always easier to be like, I would have done that (laughs) if it was around for me. But it just seemed like uh, a pretty stark contrast from sort of sometimes what I hear about um, maybe the dryness, for lack of a better word, about uh, some of sort of those programs elsewhere in their infancy. So I'm curious yeah. about uh, what you what you uh, recall. Uh, as I mean, out. yeah, you know, and it's like I, I kind of have a, a, a different a couple different feelings really like i mean on the one hand it did exactly what i needed it to do right it was a way for me to get my foot in the industry and it uh you know for better or for worse i was able to start at deschutes as a brewer um as opposed to you know like the traditional uh most of my co-workers had started on the keg line worked up to the bottling line and then in the cellar and then in the brew house you know and initially that of course created some conflict you know some dudes didn't like to see somebody coming in uh you know and jumping over but um our our head brewer brewmaster um you know dr bill was really good about keeping things you know fairly level and and explaining and stuff and it was it wasn't that big of a deal but i you know grew up catholic and you know noticing <laughs> people's you know you know carrying around a little bit of guilt with that you know um, totally so, so like on the on the you know the big picture for the money that i spent and for what my uh ultimate goals were it it did the trick, right? Uh, you know, good, um, networking, you know, I got friends in the industry that I met there that I still are in contact with, but I do remember that when, um, when I first started at Deschutes and we were kind of, I shouldn't say first started, but those early years when school was still fresh, um, we had people that when they got to the point of school that were already in house, we would send them to Siebel, uh, Deschutes would send them to Siebel. And I remember when they would come back, I was always a little envious because, uh, you know, some of these, uh, trips, 
ended up going to you know Germany. Um, it just seemed a little bit more hands on. Like uh, uh-huh. you know, at the time I was taking uh, the course, it was really all about passing the. Um, at the time, it was called the Institute of Brewing, the IOB exam. Um, they had so like a had- bar for brewing. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was an English based, you know, uh, test for the distilling and brewing industry. And wow. really that was, that was the, that was the goal, right? You sign wow. up for this master brewers program and at the end you'll take this three part test and, you know, the, the, the goal of the program is to put you in a position to pass it, you know, yeah. because really in the, on the global stage, uh, or at least in the, the Western, brewing world this iob was kind of held as a you know and this is industrial brewing too right i mean it's like a lot of you know i there's people that were sent there from asahi and uh, i think a brazilian brewery so it's like you know a lot of the uh the structure and the information was all designed for some some pretty large-scale brewing but uh Uh for somebody who had only ever homebrewed and uh i shadowed some friends of mine at um local breweries um you know i'd never had an actual brewing job it was uh it was a good way for me to get uh you know context and um and the vocabulary and some really kind of umbrella kind of like concepts about the thing but um i do remember you know <laughs> uh the, the like on on the test for some of the practical stuff there had to be a, there was a question about a whirlpool right um and it was so funny because i stressed so hard about it and i'd studied and stuff but uh, you know and then you go to work in the industry and you're like oh this is like the most simple <laughs> piece of equipment you could possibly ever have you know and it's so it's yeah. you know it's like six or whatever you say it's like on one hand it like it did what i wanted it to do yeah um on the other hand the the the, the um experience that uh, the person you're talking about might have been a little bit fuller, you know, a little bit more well-rounded. Um, so, you know, it's, cool. it's kind of neither here nor there. Yeah. And uh, like you say, like I, I didn't, I have a psych degree from uh, uh, a state school in Maine. So about as basic of a college experience as, as you can get. But even I kind of have the same feelings even about that. I never used it at all, but I, you kind of do use it by just, like, I don't know if we would have got a bank loan if I didn't, you know, little, little subtle things like that. I, it probably is a necessary part of the path for better or worse. Um, yeah. And I, uh, and so how long was the program when, when you took uh, it? At that time it was like, I think over five to six months. Oh, okay. You know? So okay. It, was, it was, it was really considered an extension of the university. It wasn't actually like, so we had, um, fermentation science students at UC Davis that were also taking this, uh, master brewers course. Um, but it was kind of a standalone thing. Um, and then we had industry people also taking it. So it was, a, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting, you know, um, it was it was almost like I would call it almost more of a Votech vo- type of school. Yeah. Okay. But at the time, they didn't have the hands on when I was there. I think since gotcha. then they've gotten the they've gotten a brewery or they're you know they they've been able to have more hands on stuff. But when I was there, it was all it was all theoretical and. A votech kind of school without the 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 vocation. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, cool, clever. cool. Um, well, not to completely skip over like a uh, a super impressive fifteen year career at Deschutes. Um, but again, I feel like you've you've covered that ground pretty well in other places. Um, so we'll kind of jump to the beginning of Ale Apothecary. Um, and I guess uh, just to sort of jump into your head a little bit more at at that time, it's something that 
so we're we brew about ten thousand barrels a year at this point. Okay. Maybe um and but has you know the we're not we're not like a, a rapidly expanding brewery. We've pretty much been in that ballpark ish for the last three years or so. Um, oh, good for you guys. And uh, I only say that because um, we're kind of like as how do you grow your your personnel team and like you know we're not rapidly hiring or anything like that, but as people obviously are still trying to push themselves at all all points and. I think I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but like there's an un there's to some degree at a certain size an unavoidable reality that like all roads lead to um, uh, a corner desk or you, you said something more a little more eloquent than that. But there's a truth in that, like all roads success begets like a computer to some degree. Um, yeah, yeah. And it I think we do a good job at fighting that i mean for me like my answer <laughs> my personal answer is like well i guess we'll just have another brewery where i i'm pretty much the only em- brewing employee um, <laughs> good solution right? yeah it's worked yeah. out pretty well yeah, at least it. for my career uh marriage friendships you know other things can sometimes be iffier but um but uh yeah just that's been on my mind a lot lately and it's been um sort of just a, a topic of conversation a lot so i'm I'm curious to sort of get in because you went in such a vehemently opposite direction than what seemed to be the trajectory you were on. Um, it was almost like uh, a violent overcorrection, but yeah, intend- like it, but that. intended though. <laughs> I mean, but I, I can't think of a much more big left turn compared to where yeah. where you were at, where Deschutes was at at that time. Um, so yeah, just bring me into your head a little bit at that. that. Well, yeah, I, I mean, um, I think, you know, first off, the things that come to my mind, I was, it's funny thing is I was just on the phone with uh, Chuck Porter the other day. He runs a little beast in Portland. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're about 2000 barrels. And I used to work with him at Deschutes back in the day. He worked at full sale and, um, and it, uh, I believe at Loxon's as well. But anyway, he runs his own brewery. And I mean, I think, you know, as a brewer slash businessman, uh, you know, when you're, you want your, your, your business, which happens to be a brewery to be a successful, there is, there's going to be some, some engagement with, uh, the contemporary methods of communication and, and, you know, uh, recording, right. It's like we, uh, you know, I think when I first left the shoots, I had some, some dreams of never engaging with a spreadsheet again, but, um, you know, I engage with spreadsheets almost every day and they're, they're great tools. You know, I, I mean, our barrel seller would be a, a nightmare without them. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, I mean, it's like if I, if I take now compared to then, like when, um, when I decided to make the change, um, there's just some things that I've learned about, uh, about a healthy business that makes maybe that process a little easier for me to accept. You know, I think, um, the initial reason for my, uh, for the, (laughs) for the opposition to that had to do with the fact that I thought of myself as a brewer. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I wasn't involved in the business element at all, right? I was a brewer and that was the pride that I took in my occupation. And, um, and I, I, I liked the idea of, um, working with my hands and, 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 you know, the, the artisan aspect of that. And so, um, the violent overthrow came when, uh, that I felt like that, that was 
being literally kind of taken away from me, right? It wasn't up to me anymore whether or not I was going to be uh, making beer, work with my hands, you know, developing the craft. It was more like, no, the the place that the business needs me uh, at the time would have been uh, behind a desk managing, uh, you know, employees and spreadsheets for the health of the business. And so like, you know, and I don't, I don't begrudge them that at all, you know, especially uh, um, now after running my own business, you, you know, there's, there's certain things that, uh, that you can skate around, right? You like, but to make, you know, for all the, all the fun and all the excitement and all that stuff, if, if you're not um, able to pay the bills, everything's going to be over pretty quick, you know? Um, so I don't know. It's uh I find myself, um, well, I guess these days, the, the other option, right. Is when, yeah, when you like, I brought my wife into the business probably four or five years ago. Um, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to push a lot of that work off on her. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, um, and luckily, you know, it, it's, it's working out really well, you know, so I, I find myself, um, behind the computer mostly for, uh, you know, communication with, um, you know, partners in the industry. Um, Schlubs do, like me. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm not at all. This is, this is great. Talk, the communication, you know, talking with other brewers is, is, uh, is awesome. Um, but I do like, I do all the graphic design for our brewery now. Oh, cool. Um, cool. Which was something I'd never done before. So in the last couple of years, I've taught myself a basic entry level illustrator skill. Um, and so I, I do, you know, I do all our labels at it, you know, and all that. And so that can be, um, can be a struggle. You know, I, I like it, uh, for certain creative aspects, but, uh, the, uh, the kind of the stress and the timing and, um, you know, sometimes just sitting in front of the computer for hours, trying to get something done and walking away with that uniquely computer headache, you know? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. You know, uh, those aren't, those aren't super fun, but, um, and then again, to keep keeping my business super small, right? It's like uh, I have one assistant, um, and Connor, who's been with me since 2014, and wow. um, he manages our cellar. Um, I usually help package, um, and then we share brewing duties. So it's like both of those. Um, I suppose that I could push the brewery to grow a little bit to hire someone. So I don't have to do that, but I really like the fact that we're able to keep it small enough where I kind of don't have a choice, right? It's like, I can't say, Oh no, I've got to get behind the computer today. So I can't brew. Um, which that's how I remember it always going where, uh, you know, working the industrial, uh, the industrial environment, having a head brewer whose job was to, um, schedule brewers and stuff who, used to be a shift brewer, right? It was always like, oh man, I, I really miss getting out there on the floor and I'm going to schedule myself in there and, and they will. But a lot of times they would have to cancel because of other, you know, administrative things we're calling them yeah. um, where I, I don't have that option, right? There's yeah. just nobody else. So, yeah. um, and I love it because sometimes it'll be a little bit when I'm in the brewery or, um, there'll be some time that it's passed and, um, and I'll get back out there and it's like, right. I mean, this is, this is where I prefer to be anyway, you know? So, um, and it's, a, it's a delicate balance, you know? Yeah. I mean, especially I, I, am I correct? And your, your annual outputs about 250 barrels a year. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty small. I mean, but to the, all, all of what you just said, that just is 
just reinforces like, yeah, it is a delicate balance and you're, you seem to be doing, doing it with less, uh, delicateness as time goes on because it just fe- feels more into place. And just, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's astonishing to me. Um, when I heard that, that I, I just figured like you're an older brewery than, than we are. I, we opened at the very end of 2013. Um, oh, right on. Okay. So when, you know, I'm, when, uh, kind of reading up on you, I'm familiar in a base level for sure. Um, but just trying to, uh, deep dive a little bit more. It's like, oh, well, they must have a little more employees now that, you know, flash of this article's from 2015 or whatever. Right. And just to hear that, it's, it's so fucking cool, man. It, it really well, is. Thank you. Um, well, I appreciate that. And it is actually one of my, I am, I, uh, I am, I think when I, when I look at this, uh, this little brewery as a whole, like, um, there, there are these things that when I first started and it, it's like the way that you put it when you first see that word vehemently was such a good one <laughs> because I was, uh, I was filled with so much, um, opposition to the direction that things were going for me and in, in the industrial environment. And so, and it was really one of these moments that uh, I think I was really fortunate to be in this situation because it really was a I was a um, I was able to lay all my cards on the table. Right. It was a really black and white uh, situation where it's like, well, um, this is what I want, you know, basically because we uh, Stacy and I were living on the property that the brewery is right. Like, and I was trying to, after I gave my notice and quit, I was trying to figure out some way we could keep the property where I didn't have to go somewhere else and get another job and do the same thing. And so because of that, um, I was able to say, well, I'm going to tie the, tie the land to this business concept. Um, and I'm going to remove all the things out of it that, that could potentially put an obstacle in the way of quote unquote, my vision, I guess. Um, it was very naive and very idealistic. Um, but I had a lot of these growth governors built in, you know? So like, I mean, one example is it takes us three days to make wort, right? I mean, we're, we're mashing overnight and we let the, you know, the words settle out overnight. And, um, you know, there's all these things that are built in, you know, no draft accounts and no, you know, fresh beer and all these, you know, things that, you know, can, you know, without needing a sales agent, I can have the brewery smaller. I don't have to, you know, be in this rush to get a certain volume to, to draft. And there are all these things that I kind of, uh, envisioned like, well, you know, Hey, I don't like that. And I don't want to do this. And, um, it was kind of a very anti-approach, um, as opposed to saying, uh, this is what I want. And, um, fortunately for me, it's grown into what I want. Um, and my wife was telling me the other day when I was, cause it is fascinating. Sometimes it's just like, it's, uh, that this is working, uh, you know, that it, that it, you know, we're over 10 years and, um, stress level has plummeted a lot. Like I would say for the first seven, uh, seven plus years, uh, there was pretty high level of stress. And, um, but I really feel like now we've, we've, we've established who we are. We have partners who, who know what we are and, you know, the, the beer industry itself has grown. Um, you know, the beer consumers knowledge has grown. Um, and by me, uh, kind of drawing lines in the sand and saying, you know, this is what I'm willing to do. You know, my trade-off has been, well, we're never going to be able to like, uh, with the type of business model I have, it just, like there's not really a place to say, well, you know, um, you know, the standard of living is fine, but you know, we want, we want to get more money. We want to have more time off. That's just not, I want to sell the business. You know, I'm never going to be able to sell the business, <laughs> uh, but you know, those things are things that I had to trade off for our day to day existence, which at the time it feels, you know, it feels 
it feels right, right? It worked. It's working for the family and all that. But uh, I think I was trying to go somewhere with the uh, um, boy. I kind of got off on a tangent there, didn't I? Um, not um, to me, man. Um, I mean, I, yeah. to, the only thing really I have to say on it is here you are. I mean, I'm I'm guarantee I'm not the first person that's expressed this, but you are literally living the the brewer's dream <laughs> i mean oh, well, well i mean uh straight up though i mean what you described about the production manager i mean that's you couldn't have put it better and that that unless there's very kind of unique or special circumstances at play that is almost just the natural inertia of how a normal brewery is set up is always going to create that and that is i don't say that in a defeatist way which means like well you're just kind of fucked then you're just sort of taken by that because there are ways to but you need to get continually more creative about how you do stay involved because it's not going to be the way that it's not going to be the most direct way it's not going to be ciping necessarily Um, it's not just going to naturally happen either yeah right um, and actually i do remember what my wife and i were chatting about this the other day and um her her opinion was um because I, you know, I was talking about some of these other breweries and um, kind of this exact same conversation, and she was saying she her her observation was that when I when I made the brewery or kind of came up with this idea or whatever the the concept was, I wasn't actually um, creating it for the consumer at all. I was creating it for me. Um, Brewer's dream, and, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it really is. It's it's turned out. Uh, it's you know, like like I said, there's there's definitely a trade off. But it, and, and reflecting back on that in the early days, that's exactly. Um, Correct in, in a lot of ways because uh, you know traditional brewery models there's a you know there's an overhead and an infrastructure that just raises the cost of the entire project to a point that in order to start repaying that kind of money well you got to make a certain amount of beer you know and here I was able to start <laughs> with a ridiculously small footprint um, and just uh, make a ridiculously small amount of beer. Um, f- but it was only me, you know, and I didn't have, uh, you know, I didn't have a high rent somewhere. I didn't have a, uh, because we were, I made my brewing equipment. I didn't have a, um, a loan, you know, I didn't, so I was able to start it super small. And that's, I think been the, the key is I've just, uh, I'd never had that, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the loan or the, uh, the debt, to have to get to a point where it's like, oh shit, we've got to find a way to pay this money back. It's like, granted, I was in the hole, but my, you know, my, my dad helped me out a little bit. I had my 401k. Um, and so, and then by that, it was just about, well, you know, we got to make it work, you know, cause we might lose it all, but it wasn't, I was, um, trying to keep it, uh, trying to keep us debt free as much as possible. So I could keep this idea going, you know? And I think, uh, what's also just unique about it. Cause I mean, uh, I'm sure you feel you've met the same amount of people, if not more, but folks that do ha- start like extremely small, like, um, are, are you brewing three barrels at a time? I mean, it's a three barrel kettle, but we mostly will knock out, uh, you know, we'll do kind of like a high gravity thing and, gotcha. um, you know, so, and we'll usually do two brews in a day. So we, you know, it's like, or we'll knock out. So yeah. So it's like eight barrels a week if okay. we're on, on that schedule. Okay. You know? Um, I, I am super curious about the brewing process. So I'll pause that for just a second. Um, but just to finish the thought of like, but there's, there is a, uh, just a tipping point of commitment that is necessary to even give that a chance of relevancy of, uh, 
liquidity, like business, like I'm trying to, when people are doing like part-time on a one barrel system, I, even if there's, the beer's really good, it's only gonna, there's a, I, I've found it to be a ceiling in that because there's a, like, on the other hand, you're, you, you built a place on your own property in, you know, the, the high desert forest, uh, and have a lot of fucking cool brewing equipment that I want to talk about. That's a very different side of uh, that tipping point to me. And it's like sure. the size is is um, the size is similar, but to still be here now with the the relevancy you have, and then I don't know, you're you're an extremely extremely unique case, and it's it's super inspiring just yeah. to hear uh, hear you talk a little bit about it. But well, thanks, Nam. But I mean, I you know to complete that thought, I think what you're getting at, right, is like if I was even with the brewery setup and all, and if I was brewing um, beer that was destined for kegs for draft for fresh beer, um, that has a way different profit margin than long term barrel aged wild beers. Right. And yep. so that was kind of this whole thing too, is like, uh, I knew that I had to be able to hit this. Uh, I mean, those early days, I mean, when, when I told people how much I was charged for my beer, it was brutal. Like it was just like the, I, you know, the, 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 the pushback, um, it kind of like, there were so many people that were just like, you know, uh, thought that I just thought so highly of myself and, you know, just a very visceral reaction, which, you know, I had a lot of time to reflect on and I get it because beer is this wonderful common person drink and it's like brought people together. And, and here I was making this thing that was only accessible by people with a fair amount of money. And, um, and it just wasn't really fitting in people's concept of what beer was. Um, but that is essential to, to this business model, right? It's like, I was, it's like, if I was making, uh, IPAs, uh, and charging the going rate, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. For many reasons as a one man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, clearly it allowed you, if nothing else to, to actually truly find your audience probably in a more effective way than yes. you ever could otherwise. Um, but before breezing around it anymore, um, uh, I want to just get into your process a little bit and and your equipment and I'm I'm sorry to do this to you because I it's prob you're probably totally sick and tired of it but <laughs> I I feel like I have to because even a coworker hit me up and was, was like hey who, who are you talking to in the pod this week and is uh, Paul Arnie he's like oh sick is he gonna show you how to build a mash tun out of a spruce tree um, <laughs> so, no, I feel that's like you're the best marketing thing I ever did in my whole life so, oh my god so where's the marketing and where's the the actuality uh, where's the line because that's what I uh, it's obviously such a such a, a wild thing to hear laid out and it seems like uh, I'm trying to re remember you uh, your, your interview with the malt couture guys and you're i think you kind of alluded to it had definitely been blown out of proportion a little bit um as most things do and they become uh lure almost um yeah, but yeah sure. give it to me straight uh the the background yeah. on that well i mean i think what you're saying what the one the the phrase that i had in my brain um at the beginning um was invisible marketing invisible marketing Ooh. like i really wanted the 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 things that like, so like in order to, um, I mean, there's, these are still things I think about, especially now with, um, you know, in the last, I don't know, six plus years, all these, 
for lack of a better word, hype beers, right? I mean, um, sometimes I, I get, a, I, I just wonder how things work because you can have breweries that uh, are making beer that um, maybe for myself doesn't feel as genuine or doesn't have the story that I've put together. Um, and maybe the beers are similar and it's like, you know, we've like, my brewery has never, ever really been, uh, producing beers that are, you know, creating these, uh, whales, so to speak, right. People that are in search of these, these beers. And, um, early on I would kind of get offended and I, I don't know if it's that I, I have just that, not that what's the word, not knowledgeable enough about scarcity marketing, like in reality, right? My whole concept was I'm going to do all the things that I see people, uh, appreciating the value of in this style of beer. Right. So it's like, um, you know, the process and the uniqueness and the, um, uh, the small batch and the hands-on and the location and the story. And just like, I'm just going to do all the things the way that, uh, I think they should be done, right? There's not going to, I'm not going to hide behind, um, you know, uh, some, some awesome logo or, uh, or what everything's going to be transparent as much as possible. And in my mind, as, as cool as I can make it, you know, because that to me is providing this, this intrinsic value. Um, and so from, from the early days, that was just, that was this kind of guiding thing. It's like, well, um, you know, so like, you know, the brew kettle and we're going to find a guy to make it out of copper and, um, we're going to make all our equipment. I'm going to have everything in barrels because I love barrels. And this used to be the, you know, the thing that people, you know, treasured, you know, because it carried around all of our goods and everything in it. Um, I'm just going to put everything in, and plus I could afford it, you know, it's mm-hmm. this kind of trade off. It's like, um, it's, you know, doing the things the hard way, but I can afford it that way. And then trying to build the story into it. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I, um, I think the tree, you know, the tree, the, the whole component that the, the initial, um, thought for that was, I think, because at the time this was like in the first two years of my brewery. Um, and at that time, you know, the, the beer industry is a lot different. Consumer knowledge base is a lot different. And so the elevator speech, when somebody's like, Oh, you've got a brewery. Tell me about your brewery. And it was just like one of these things. It was so challenging because <laughs> I could never communicate yeah. what it was that I was doing. You know, part of it was I wasn't really sure. Yep. Um, but you know, it, people didn't have a place to put it in their heads mm-hmm. and, um, everybody kind of got to this point and then just was like, Oh, you're a farmhouse brewery, you know, and I didn't know what that meant, you know, um, uh, we're not on a farm. I'm not, I'm, I'm making beer out in the woods. Um, and so when, um, I heard about, uh, the Scandinavian, you know, brewers, um, using a tree and, um, you know, granted they were farmhouse brewers a lot of the time, but this idea of using a tree, which was, you know, something that we use in our brewing process and surrounded the brewery, they like spoke to me. It's like, well, this could be a way to do something a, that is just, badass. I mean, like I want to cut a tree down and make beer out of it. You know, that just sounds awesome. But the, the other side of that, it allowed me a way to communicate to people what it is that I'm doing as ridiculous as it seems, right. It's like, for some reason that tree became this symbol of like, um, you know, we're out in the woods Yeah, we're we're making things to make beer out of and the natural world around us is what's getting infused into our beer, you know? So it became this really awesome, um, 
way to communicate what it is that we're doing, you know? Um, if I can jump in and, and cause that's, that's so interesting to hear phrased that way. And, and it's like, oh yeah, of course, of course. Um, but, uh, still you're, you have to communicate brewing into a tree. <laughs> so, 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 <laughs> Do so, I? so, so, Do I cause I, cause, um, I'm, I'm not arguing at all about the, I mean, here I am, you know, seven years, eight years later, still being echoing the sentiments of like, you're the guy who brews in the tree, right? Um, yeah. But uh, and again, I say that uh, almost begrudgingly because of how much I've I've heard you talk <laughs> about it. And I hate to I hate to make you do uh, it again. But um, oh, and I love it. I do. I love it. I mean, to to get back to the sort of question, like, how are you communicating that? Is that like a visual thing? Is that writing? Because still, uh you know, if you're, um, I think I heard you, uh, in some other interview, you, you were talking about being on the ski lift and you know, like how it happens, like, Oh, what do you do? And basically what you described happens. Um, you know, I, to me, it doesn't sound like, well, we're, we're a brewery that's in the woods <laughs> and brews into giant spruce bugs makes, <laughs> makes the job any easier. So I, I just right. want you to go in because it, oh, it I think it makes so much sense, but I'm just curious about you going a little deeper on that. Well, I mean, I, we haven't, I haven't really done a lot of marketing. I mean, I, the, the, there was an MBA, a master brewers event here in our early days. This was, and this was right when I had the first, um, our first Kerna, the first log, um, that I was making our Sahati out of. Um, and one of my old friends at Deschutes asked me to speak at this, uh, brewers conference. Um, and you know, it was, I think we had probably 400, people and it was a it was a pretty big deal as a northwest chapter or whatever um and for some reason i understood the 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 opportunity that was in front of me and so i brought the kerna i made a little dolly for it and i brought it into the uh um you know, the foyer or whatever. Um, so people could check it out. And in that, in the speech that I gave, um, you know, I referenced it. And so, um, while I'm not like putting out material that's telling maybe the general consumer exactly what I'm doing, I was able to communicate in the early days with uh, a lot of brewers in this area, uh, pretty directly with what it was that I was doing. Yeah. And I, I know that that's helped a lot, right? Mm -hmm. I, I know that that kind of relationship with my, um, my contemporaries in brewing industry has been of enormous importance to my, to my, my business, you know, it's like, uh, and same thing with our ale club, right? That's the, I, I, started the brewery with this membership club. Um, and in a lot of ways I see them as kind of our sales and marketing ambassadors because, you know, our, our beer is, is relatively high alcohol for, for the styles. And, um, when you've got 200, 250 people that are sharing this, um, we make sure to give them as much as we can, because I know that that stuff's going to trickle out. Um, you know, and all that, all that aside, uh, you know, the, 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 the log itself, it kind of took on its own life because I've, I've met people who envisioned like more of like a stump <laughs> that I hollowed out and somehow was, you know, uh, using that to like boil 
You know what I mean? It's just like it was. It we was, dug uh, deep really... enough where we get the Earth's core's heat is actually what heat, <laughs> heats the ward out of the exactly. bottom. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it's it's fascinating. And just for my terminology, because I'm I'm curious uh, about that Scandinavian kind of influence uh, that seems to I've heard you mention overtly, but also seems to to run through. Um, First of all, to just describe in in a little bit more to make sure I have it right, when you say Kerna, this is a a mash effectively a mash ton. Where then a louder ton, a louder ton. Okay, so yeah. you you mash in your normal vessel and then transfer it over. We've I've never I've never worked in a a brewery other than my own, and I've we've never had a louder ton. So I was just talking about this with the guys at Forest and Maine a few weeks ago, like. So, so what is a lauder ton kind of again? Um, just because, um, so it, it's always combo vessel for you, right? That's it's always a, been combo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you would do basically, uh, uh, quick for you. That might not be the same type of quickness, but your, your normal sack rest in a mash ton. And then to basic in production brewing, the idea would be to get that mash ton empty as soon as possible to get another batch going. And the lauder ton sort of fits uh, that intermediate role. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's on the big picture, I think, for industrial breweries, right? You have multi vessels. You can stack brews. Um, for for me, right, it was this. Uh, um, generally, I I have a, a you know a, a converted punchin that we've got a couple converted punchins that we use as mash tons um, that have false bottoms that are effectively a combo mash louder. Are they upright? Um, but Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We built little stands for them and they've got a few little drain ports with goosenecks. And, um, and so that's typically how, uh, you know, we'll mash, we've got these wool little jackets we put on overnight <laughs> and then run off the next day. Um, but when we're using the, the, the Kerna, um, you know, traditionally, right. These, uh, the Scandinavian brewers would do the same thing, right. They make their, their mash in a, in a, in a vessel, in a pot, and then they, um, They'll put it into their, their kerna, their, their log, you know, that's full of, uh, in their case, juniper twigs. Um, and then the twigs act as the, the filter media. And, uh, you know, the, the wort dribbles through and the, the, uh, twigs capture all the solids. And, uh, in their case, they'll, they'll louder right into their fermenter. You know, they Straight don't boil. Straight from there. It's raw. Just raw yeah, ale. Raw <laughs> beer. That's yep. raw, raw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. And so, uh, wow. you know, and I, I used it in, in the spirit, right? It was more, you know, like, uh, what we do now, right, is, uh, because I don't have a Kerna currently in our production environment. The, 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 the original one, um, was, I think it was like, I think it was nine feet long and, 18 inches in diameter, which I could fit enough grain to do a, uh, uh, you know, basically fill a barrel. So like a, a you know, a two barrel knockout. I'm doing the, the uh, spatial conversions in mm, my head. Right. Like, you know, I'm carving that by hand. Yeah. Oh yeah. I got this. Um, luckily it all fit. Um, but you know, the, it ended up, you know, over time, the wood as it dried, it checked and created leaks. Yeah. 
And so now it's in our tasting room and is kind of this, you know, it's an awesome little museum type totally. of piece. You totally. Know? Ten-year-old brewery's got an ancient... The spirit lives on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, um, I want to say five years ago, it's, it's a ways, it's still in the past quite a ways, but my neighbors had a much larger spruce tree fall on their property and were like, aha, you want to make a brewing vessel out of this one? I was like, fuck yeah, I do. Like, the other one broke, you know? And so... Um, over the last five years, I've been working to get this other one and it's, it's literally out in front of the brewery right now on this dolly. It's 14 feet long and 30 some odd inches in diameter. Um, I built stainless, stainless bulkheads, um, for the sides with little, uh, TC ports on it. Wow. Um, but the problem, and this is what I, you know, this is a whole issue, right? It's like farmhouse brewers in Scandinavia, are brewing in much smaller volumes than, you know, this gigantic mm -hmm. craft brewery mm -hmm. right in the States. And so the trees that they use or the logs that they use, they would bury underground for quite some time. And they, the, the, uh, the logs would lose their moisture really slowly. So when it was time to use it, they'd pull it out of the ground and cut into it. And then it wouldn't check, right? Because the moisture has been gradually uh sucked out of it where i'm cutting a green tree down hollowing it out and then just kind of crossing my fingers that it's gonna hold up and it's like i on the flip side i can't bury a 14 foot three foot diameter you know what no. i mean that's just not <laughs> happening um so i've got a few ideas you know we might try and do some epoxy or maybe like lining it with copper or I, we just put too much work into it to oh um, a thousand to like percent call it quits yeah you know so it may not have the the like the old school one that we had which was just pure carved out of a tree everything goes in it you get that contact with the wood this might be more of like yeah that's our cool ship and it's got a food grade epoxy in it to you know to keep it from leaking or it's got lined with coppers i don't i'm not really sure what we're gonna do but that's we're gonna do something yeah wow um <laughs> so the um uh a real close friend of mine uh built did a lot of work up here um built built our cool ship and the whole room it's in and um was kind of sort of expedited uh he's just a fantastic welder and, and fabricator and uh carpenter so sort of expedited my like crash course and oak you know uh in coopering basically in very low grade coopering um and i think from him just being up here so much he's he doesn't work here we would just tire him on like a contractor basis a lot and um i think from him being up here so much it was almost an inevitability that it was like do you think you could build a fooder? Um, and, yeah, and, and really? Yeah, but it it was, um, he really gave it his best shot. And, and the thing looked great. Um, it was sort of a fatal, I'm not a carpenter, I'll be the first to say it, but it was a fatal flaw in the, um, the, the angle the wood was sawn at. It was like, I think for, hopefully this makes sense to you, but it's like a 25, 75 saw angle that you need uh, coopering wood basically to be sawn at. This was at a 50, 50 percent cut. Oh, um, I think I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I just remember those, those sort of fractions as being, uh, a fatal flaw in it. Um, but with that case, it was like, well, you still, this thing's still built. Um, and you know, it wasn't like it was just like flooding on upon fill. Um, but it leaking to the point where it's like, I can't fill this with beer. Um, but sort yeah. of our last, uh, 
our last try was a full food grade epoxy lining. And I think if we had had more patience with it and maybe probably deconstruct it, like fully took the head off, like partially deconstructed it to get that on, that would have been all perfect. And especially with, yeah. with the the application of like, where you're not needing it, the log to be filled for months and months on end. Uh, right. so yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that would do the trick, uh, do the trick great. And it, I mean, how different is it from pitching a barrel? You know, it's basically the right, same thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it, so how big is that, that fooder? Well, how, how, what was the volume of that? Um, thing? It was a 15 barrel uh, fooder. Dang. Yeah. And right yeah, on. it was, um, it really, uh, for me, I was just kind of doing whatever I could to sort of, well, a, a, a port there would be nice. <laughs> but other than that, I, I had nothing to do with the fabric. So this is all for us. But the thing was, it really was a shame to have to eventually, uh, you know, just call it a noble experiment that failed because the thing was beautiful. And But certainly learned a lot well, about it. And if nothing else, I can pass along the virtues of epoxy to you. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, because that uh, that's that teetering edge that I'm on too. It's like, that when do I call it quits? You know, it was a valiant effort and oh, the thing's amazing and can't. all this time and all these people. Yo, oh, listen to you. you not with, 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 <laughs> especially you have your own, so much of your own. I mean, I guess I had a good amount too, but it, if uh, I feel like as, as long as you don't need to have it sit for, you know, even if, even if you just have to factor in some leaking to your to, to your brew right. day, yeah, yeah, exactly. Build a build a little trough <laughs> yeah. underneath, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's that's so cool. Uh, one other thing uh, that I really wanted to hear a little bit more about was I know it was at least how I've heard you describe it was sort of born out of just the balance of like, oh, I live here too, and sort of balance for maintaining your just your proper family life, um, where you would basically mash in the night before have a rest that would last by most standards an extremely long time um right, run yeah, off sure. the next day um the first i want to hear about because i know you have some feelings about uh maybe some m- kind of mercurial things that that adds to your house character um but i to me when i hear that i just think how is this mash not getting stuck every single time if Oh, sure. Thinking about if um, I've never tried that, but my assumption would be there would just be enough solidification of everything. Plus the geometry, I'd assume, of a punch in would have a lot more uh, just like weight. Deep. Yeah, it's a deep pressure yeah. on it. Um, yeah. So so is that an issue or not? <laughs> Only no, that really, it's it's never been an issue. I mean, we have uh, only issues we ever have with stuck mashes or with uh, when we use rye. Uh-huh. We use a fair amount of rye in some of our beers, and and then Connor, when he's used, he he makes a wheat beer that's like fifty some plus percent, and you know, typical typical things, but. Um, you know, and I mean, the, the inspiration for that also came from those Scandinavian brewers. I read about um, at least one or two of them that would wrap their, you know, their mash in, in blankets and let it sit overnight. And I was just like, oh, my God, that would be amazing. And, um, you know, I noticed a little bit of extract uh, increase with the with the added time. And because, um, you know, because the vessels are wood, we kind of get this reverse um uh, step going on, right? It's like I'm, we're starting in the mid to upper 150s. Um, so it kind of decreases through the beta. Um, and then, uh, you know, by the time you run off in the morning, it's generally like in the 
low 140s, maybe high 130s. Slap that protein um, rest on the clear. end. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Shoot. I mean, and to be honest, like I initially started doing it simply because I read about it and was like, I love this because I was the only I was the only person working at the brewery at the time. It was yeah. all me. And it's like, oh, this is going to make way more sense for me. Um, so I just started doing it. I didn't really think about anything else. <laughs> like, well, he did it. You know, <laughs> I can do it too. Um, so, but, you know, as the years have gone by, um, I, you know, and I am talking with other brewers, you know, I think we're getting some, um, some things that benefit our, our wild sour beers. Um, you know, namely, I think this, we haven't, increased tannin extraction, you know, that's adding to the mouthfeel. Um, I think the color saturation is actually better. I think we get a, a deeper color saturation and we do get a little bit more extract. Um, and all those things are, 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 you know, just held up against the practicality of having the small brewery and what works best for us mm-hmm. as individuals. Um, cause I don't want to, I don't want to come across like, Oh yeah, I totally knew this was, this is why I do it for all these uh, scientific reasons. <laughs> I, you're you not know, coming across that, that, is, that way at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, uh, no, you are coming across great. Um, I, but, but I guess in, in response to that, um, do you, try to keep uh, some sort of schedule of swapping those punch-ins out? No. Uh, I mean, today, Connor and I were looking at, we have two of them. One of them is our the original one that we, because uh, originally I had barrels. And then I went to two barrels for two mash tons. And then we went to one punch-in, and now we have two punch uh-huh. so we can turn two brews in a day. Um, and so uh, the one that we're looking at today has got this leak in the bottom of it. And it has to do with how we're supporting it. It's on these, uh, it's on these little movable racks with casters so we can push them around the brewery, you know, get them out of the way. Um, and didn't really support the, the head of the, the barrel. So it's kind of bulging. uh Yeah. Um, and so we're looking at, um, replacing that one. Um, but really like, you know, I, I, we've got steam, um, and you know, like we, like today we're brewing a, um, or I should say we, we, the, the Royal, we Connor's brewing (laughs) a, a spontaneous beer today. And so those, the the punchins end up becoming the cool ships, you know. Cool. They, we run it off and then clean them out and then we push them outside. Um, and so no, it's just we scrub them. Um, I've got uh, some a stainless uh, screen setup thing that we developed in the bottom. Um, what does that look like? Everything. Uh, you know, I could, I could send you the, uh, the numbers from the McMaster car pieces that I get, but you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like a perforated, uh, it's a perforated stainless screen yep. on little, um, uh, stainless angle iron feet about inch and a half to two inches tall. And that sits at the bottom of the punch. And then when, you know, um, I use the, this is the, the my favorite part is I, I use the, you know, that Kunza malting and brewing, uh, industrial scientific, behemoth book i don't know if you've ever heard of that i guess not no technology technology brewing i don't know i remember it's just like an incredibly intense it's like the modern day uh de clerk right gotcha gotcha um and he you know he had some very specific information about how the the size of the um the gap in your louder ton Mm. screens and so i was able to correlate that to a stainless steel mesh um 
uh, screen that I bought from McMaster and cut into a circle just larger than the bottom of the barrel. So it kind of lays in there and the edges bite into the barrel. Oh, wow. It works out really cool. great. So you have the, the, the support system with the perforated screen goes on the bottom and then the screen goes off and you just kind of nudge it in around. So it uh, bites into the barrel and, um, runoffs have been you know i dream of having a shallower grain bed you know like i know we can have you know better efficiency and stuff um but you know that i was just, actually we were just talking about it today like i have somebody that would build me a wooden mash tun to the proper dimensions that i want but the challenge is right now we've kind of built this brewery around these this idea of having two mash tons that are waste level that we can stir mm-hmm. and scoop because we don't have a grain delivery system. And as soon as I do something different, right, it's like this one mash ton piece that has the right, you know, grain depth would need to be elevated so we could, you know, you know, get our grant thing working. It would need a grain delivery and a platform. And it's just like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. we're 10 years in now, like. We can keep doing the scoop and dump. It's not like we're uh, we're growing, you know, like, so I don't know. This is, these are those things. It's yeah. like, ah, you know, we could spend a lot of money and this would be ergonomically, maybe it's something that we do invest in for us in the future, but it's hard to pull that trigger when it's like, it's not just a mash tun. Totally. Right? Yeah. Right. It totally. Would be, totally. It'd be a whole can of worms yep. to be open in there. And I, uh, I'm just so thankful for sort of the, um, kind of my, uh, a few of my go-to go- mostly for Portland's sake of making sure that I'm um, cause it would be far too easy to start to lose connection there. Um, but before, uh, before when we were smaller and it was process changes and up here, I struggle with it mostly cause there's not as many people to kind of bounce it off. But I come to the point a lot where I ask myself like, is this complacency? Cause I'm very comfortable with how I'm, how this system works. So I'm actually like justifying it at the expense of better in one way, shape or form, or like, is this really okay? Cause I feel like we're taught so much to like, well, as soon as you're comfortable with one thing, you got to move on to the next or, or push right. it. And um, so, yeah, nothing but respect on that. And and from the sounds of it, like, why why fuck up a good thing? <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, yeah, it, exactly. Like, yeah. I I come to that conclusion um, so much. I mean, just so cool that it's just been the. Is it really been the two of you guys in production for the last eight years? Well, interestingly enough, like when you're talking about early on, we were talking about our uh, employee levels and, and growth of business and all that. Um, Pre-COVID, uh, we had the most employees we'd ever, ever had, right? I had um, I had another brewer um, and then our, our tasting room um, was staffed up. I think we had five, five different people work in our tasting room. And then I had somebody I'd hired to, uh, to do labeling for us. Um, and so, you know, it was like nine people or, you know, it, it was the most employees that we'd ever had. Um, you know, and then, and at the point I was like, God, oh, we almost have enough work for, for everybody. Um, sometimes I was trying to figure out where I fit in, you know, and, um, on one hand that's kind of cool. Cause it's like, Oh, I guess I can go for a bike ride today, but you know, coming into the cellar and seeing, uh, you know, two very capable brewers kind of like bumping into each other and trying to figure out their day. And, um, it was one of these things that was on my mind, like, hi, ah, this is, uh, either I'm going to have to grow because I care about these people 
to create a position for gonna, myself to create yeah <laughs> truly exactly or i'm gonna have to do this a uh, really hard thing and just let people go because i'm not gonna grow and you know then COVID hit and it was really this very interesting um silver lining blessing kind of a thing yeah. because we had to see you know, we it wasn't really my call no, anymore right, the, the, right. The, everything was slowing down and so um it made the choice really clear um and it and it got us to this point now where we have my wife it shares the tasting room duties with uh with emma so we have two people there and occasionally one other person and then connor and i are handling all the the beer into things and it's just like for the size, everything, everything's working right now. You know, there's, uh, um, there's always something you can't do or you don't have the energy to, but I mean, to, to maintain what we got going on, we're, we're right there. Mm. Um, it just feels like a little bit better of a place because now the decision could be made more of like, Oh, this is what we want to do. Um, as opposed to this is what we have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think kind of in a similar vein to that, uh, hearing you talk about, uh, just locality of everything you use. Um, I'm it's something I'm very proud of, but you're taking it to a very different level. Um, like in Milo, it's, it's all 99% of, of, um, certainly the grain is, is main grown. Um, certainly all the fruit, um, oh, and, good for you guys. Uh, but you know, it's, I'm not trying to, but my probably biggest thing is we have, uh, the only silo f- grains we have in Portland, we have a, a silo of main two row that we get filled, um, which is cool. It's the first silo that they had started filling. Uh, it's a two guys or it's more, more brothers than us, but, uh, two of the brothers, uh, who is that? uh it's the main, main malt house, uh, buck. It's kind of almost in Canada. Um, but two guys that I think we had a lot of kindred sort of feelings with. They uh, had a family potato uh, at Roostook counties, like w- up there with Idaho is one of the the major, you know, potato big wigs in the uh, in the yeah. country. And um, uh, they had both gone. They had you know grown up in this generational farm. Um, kind of saw the writing on the wall that the potato industry was not growing anyway, um, had got engineering degrees in school and then basically figured out how to malt grain at a shockingly high level. Um, I've been, and I also, I I think the, the thing I really kind of saw as at main malt, it'd be like, they had probably only two row for two or three years. Then it's like, all right, we'll gently bring Pilsner into this when we're confident it's great. And, um, but anyway, um, on that topic, uh, it's something I've, I think you, you know, you're, you have a serious aversion to ordering from a catalog, which I just, again, <laughs> live in the brewer's dream, yeah. not without its, its, uh, perils and hardships. Uh, I don't want to glaze over that, but, uh, talk a little bit about beyond the fact that you are in, uh, you know, I lamented a lot that Maine, I fucking love living in Maine, but it's when you look at somewhere like the Pacific Northwest or California or Florida, it's like, damn, a lot grows there compared to here. You can grow a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously, uh, it, it, pro- pound for pound, probably about as bountiful as a uh, farming state as as it gets. Um, but mm-hmm. talk about sort of the true, true commitment to, to that because it's wildly impressive. Well, yeah, I mean, this all is born out of that, uh, the initial vehement um, word that we've been kind of circling around that that this opposition to um, kind of like industrial 
anything, right? It was like, you know, basically how our, my, my time in the industrial breweries gave me a window onto how a lot of our food is produced. Um, you know, and it's just, um, some of that is just, I mean, it's, it's practical. We got to feed people. And yes, of course, I'm not saying I'm not trying to be a Luddite, but in order to kind of create this, uh, product that I was telling you about, as far as it needs to hit these, um, these high points for people, um, I need to make sure that I'm delivering, um, what I view as uh, a natural, like to me, this, this idea of the word natural in beer, were kind of like, those are the two main words in developing my little brewery, right? Uh-huh. It's like the location and the process and uh, the raw materials, all that stuff. Um, I needed to embed the word natural in it in order for me to, for my, my vision on what I was creating for it to be authentic. And so, um, initially, you know, the, I, I had dreams of getting everything from within the state of Oregon. Um, but you know, we don't have a glass producer, you know, corks or, you know, there's, there's some things that you can't, where does this, you know, yeah. yeah, Long list of things you can't get. But the thing, you know, I, I was fortunate enough that very similar story to yours too. Uh, So when Seth Klon, um, and his family had decided to kind of, change their concept of their family farm into one of growing, uh, uh, you know, brewing grade barley and malting it. Uh, you know, it was that very first year I was in my little brew house oh. making beer when he showed up with his dad and they're wearing their shit kickers and telling me what their plan was. And I was like, you guys are amazing. <laughs> like talk about kindred spirits is just like, not only did he want to create something, uh, you know, that I could use out of the state. His, his goal was to create something unique that had uh, the characteristics of his farm, right? The driving this, this idea of house character into barley malt, which it was just like, this is, this is amazing. Um, and so timing obviously was, was big on that because, you know, without the barley malt, it's hard to be like, Oh yeah, everything we get yeah. from, from Oregon. Um, but, you know, taking that to, to obviously the hops, you know, and um, granted we're on the east side of the mountains where we're at a lot less grows over here in the high desert than say the west side uh-huh. of the Valley, but it's all Oregon, yeah, true, you know, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, the bigger, the biggest, the biggest one for me was, you know, settling on, on natural carbonation within the bottle and using honey for that, you know, and that, that made a lot of sense. I did go down the rabbit hole of trying to find some sugar beet farmers in the eastern part of the state who would uh who could sell me some sugar beets and somehow i you know, sugar them extru- <laughs> you know, yeah i don't know I, i'm kind of glad that that never turned into anything because uh just yeah honey's honey's pretty easily to put into solution and get into the beer um but yeah it's a it's been a driving component you know um mainly for you know for these ideas that i was talking about like uh, to to create a natural product like you know, being inspired by say natural wine, right? It's like the fact that beer can be such a natural process was kind of, a, um, was amazing, right? As, as working in the industrial brewery, it's hard to imagine that this process that you focus on with so much stress and equipment and technology could actually be done without all that, <laughs> you know, like I just, it was kind of like people used to do this without, Without all this equipment and all this stuff and, you know, they've liked it enough to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of a big component of, of this brewery is like, uh, how do we 
how do we kind of remove the industrial part of it, you know? And so that kind of fell into this avoiding the catalog. Cause I knew that if I was, if I was going to the catalog, then I was kind of admitting defeat, mm-hmm. you know? Well, it's another, like, I, I, and I know you don't mean to do it at all, but I think that your personality, I think you're a better marketer via what you believe than, than you're giving yourself credit for. Because it's another very simple thing. I, I struggle with it a ton. I mean, I the business would either be gone or never happened if I didn't have my, my brother is sort of the the other side of the our kind of equation where I'm I'm beer, have been beer, he's gets people to want the beer <laughs> and and figure yeah, out because yeah. uh yeah storytelling is never in getting better at it with time but um and even hearing you talk about the your your bottle club and and tim clifford uh i don't know uh, six months ago we were talking to him and he mentioned it as well as like uh a very very integral part of of the success of his brewery because yeah, I think he just said it's like, well, you guarantee you have a captive audience if people are part of this club. Yeah. And then almost the rest of sort of it's literally word of mouth from the rest of the way by people extremely impassioned about it. So it's probably going to pass yeah. pretty effectively. Um, and you're just yeah, and there's nothing better than word no, of mouth because right? it's I always going to come from the right place. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, just uh, fantastic stuff, man. Um, I just have one technical question before. Uh, we we do the little game oh, we yeah. play out of here before we before we get just I want to follow up on what you were saying there because I think the the struggle that you're talking about is one that um I would I mean I don't want to say all of us brewers but it's like I think that that struggle of like what am I doing how am I doing it and am I being uh, true to the craft is like a very common theme um, you know for for brewers in the craft world right I hear it all the time I and mean, I think that's one thing that I, I really feel fortunate that for some reason that I'm able able to be in this place and 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 um, advocate for it it's really important I mean I um, I've got a friend who works for a brewery who's very and the brewery is very small um, and they make kick-ass beer in it but it's all very uh, contemporary hazy IPA with a lot of uh, flashy marketing um, and you know not knocking that but uh, he came to me and was just like man you know just like how can I get how can I what do you say, how can I honor our craft better right how what you know like what you know, and then it spurred this conversation that we're still having um, but and I feel like it's an important one for us to acknowledge in order for it to keep happening because as time goes on and technology gets better. I mean, the other day I read this article about this guy. I think, I mean, I don't know where, I think it was in the, um, it was in the New York Times and it was, he was creating, um, supposedly world class high end malt whiskey in like, hours, you know, by using chemistry. And, you know, I read this article and, Part of me is like, you know, I mean, good for him, whatever. But part of me is just like, you know, w- we have the ability to go that direction in beer and we are in so many different ways, right? It's like, um, and that's why it's important for us brewers who are the stewards of this craft, right? And a lot of times we're not the ones who are running the organizations, but we're the ones that are keeping the um, the spirit of this craft alive, you know, like in the history that's built into it, you know, we just risk losing so much if we don't continue to talk this way. And it, it doesn't mean we actually have to brew that way all the time. But just to have that conversation to acknowledge, oh, this thing that we do is uh, whoops.
Hey, man. God, I'm so sorry about that. I uh, was like, I didn't even really hear the wind picking up. <laughs> um, let me see if um, oh, I'm on my phone hotspot oh. now. Let me just see if. Oh, no. The Wi-Fi is not on. Okay, I need my phone. All right. Okay, geez. I guess the, the Wi-Fi is not on yet, so we're going to kick it with the phone for the rest of it. No problem. That was it. was a good way. I was starting to get a little long-winded there, so that was perfect. <laughs> no, not, not, not at all. Um, I'm God. not exactly sure where uh, – um, I was so thrown off by that. I'm not exactly sure where you were at when uh, – when I, I bailed out on that. But, yeah, uh, I'm not either. I was, I was definitely going along there. Um, I think it was really just that um, I think what I was really trying to say is I really appreciate you bringing, you know, having this podcast and talking about these things um, because as brewers, right, there's just this, um, I guess to, to reflect it back to, you know, how, my initial years and in learning about beer, um, you know, those early years of Deschutes, uh, when I felt like our quality was incredible and, uh, it was largely without an organizational structure. Um, the brewers I learned, right. This was my first, uh, uh, first real brewing job, the brewers were the stewards of the quality and, uh, basically of the beer. There wasn't, uh, processes in place to, um, assure that where nowadays, you know, and now in that brewery, right, they've got, um, they've got checkpoints and, and, and the lab and all these different ways to, <laughs> to make sure that the, the quality of the beer is where they want it. Um, but, when you're basically operating a giant, uh, manual brew system, um, the brewers were the ones that were the stewards of it. Right. And, and we took yeah. a lot of pride in that. Um, and what I've noticed is throughout the years is like, we are the ones that have to preserve this idea of the, the craft that we, um, we are part of, right. It's like without, without us talking about it, without us celebrating the history and the, uh, you know, the, um, the, the character of, of this craft, it'll just, you know, it'll just evaporate because, you know, it's like, not that the owners aren't necessarily bought into it like that. Right. I mean, um, most brewers aren't owners of their brewery and can't make those kind of decisions. Right. And so like for someone like you, someone like me, um, it's really important. I'm just saying that it, it, it's really important to me that we have these conversations because it's, uh, this is, this is the kind of thing we need to make sure that in some way, shape or form ends up in front of the consumer at a certain level. Right. It's like they can make all the decisions they want about, um, how, how much hazy IPA they want to drink. And that's fine. And we can provide that for them, but we also need to provide, Hey, you know, that, uh, this this thing that you're consuming has an amazing history and it's it's a completely natural product like it's uh it's really a special thing you know yeah i very very well said and i i think even maybe if i didn't realize it at the time i think that was why i was drawn to want to um i i i assure you if you had asked me 4 years ago like you think you'll ever do a podcast i would have literally laughed in your <laughs> face but i think i i i had found myself um Matt could speak a lot on it, but he was sort of new to beer. He's the, he's the GM, um, which is a, the truest sense of that term. And up here in Milo, there's just three uh, or, or four folks that that um, work up here between distribution, the tap room, and then occasionally 
uh, bottle runs or whatever we have to do. Um, but it's mostly tap room. Um, and, uh, we would have these it's pretty pretty good good. it's pretty good um but him and i uh he was into beer like excited about beer i'll I'll, I'll say um and very much in the exploring everything phase uh he is his energy is great for that but we would get in these really late night conversations um because he won't stop and i apparently i won't stop either if i'm talking when and i kind of almost (laughs) rediscovered what i liked talking about because like you say you're naturally just you're gonna slowly float further away from that that heartbeat if you're not cognizant of it um and uh i think you know i was finding myself just sort of like disgruntled more about whether it's looking on i i you know i'm I, I certainly don't need to beat this drum, but I, I have like visceral feelings for sort of the, I think what I overestimate uh, the number of it, but like the just any beer that's like blue, you know, or something like that, which is kind of, um, and, uh, and I'm not, it's truly not shitting on it, but like, yes. it, well I don't know if it's the well algorithm played. or what, but like, it seems like beer had been morphing more oh and more God. just to that. And, um, anyway, it, this has been, uh, these types of conversations, very long winded way to say these types of conversations have done a, a tremendous amount to sort of bring me back to, um, some of those very core things that uh i really like talking about um but um i we might lose power again here so i'm going to um try to get you out of here paul um we do end in i uh, see the lights flickering so i'm gonna i'm gonna go into rapid mode to, to uh preserve this um we do try to end with something called the three bay uh sink <laughs> um so it's just sort of a silly little free association thing um kind of curveball at the end um again i don't have matt here to properly announce it but um i think you'll figure it out sort of free association you're gonna take three um ale apothecary beers doesn't matter what and you are uh, at least a, a pretty serious hobbyist guitarist right yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, I, I have. I don't mean. I don't know if that's a, a backhanded compliment or, or I don't really. I don't play yes, guitar. No, it's perfect. Okay. Okay. I don't play guitar, but I, I fucking love hearing people that are into something talk about it. So I'm gonna uh, have you uh, link up, associate any three ale apothecary beers with any three guitars in of guitar making history, wherever kind of, uh, I know a lot of people have certain eras they, and, and makes they lean to, but, um, geek out a little bit on that for me. Oh, good. Okay. Well, um, I will, uh, I'll start with our Saheli, right? Saheli was Mm -hmm. the, uh, the initial beer that we were, that I made and it was initially going to be the only beer that I ever made, um, which obviously changed quickly. Um, but I will pair that with, um, and I'll, and I'll pair them with my own guitars. Um, just because, they, uh, I can, I can, I think Perfect. I can do this fairly quickly. Um, I, I, the very first guitar I ever bought was a, uh, 1978, uh, Fender, um, thin line. It has a little, uh, the F hole cut out of the, the body. Uh, it's made out of coal wood. Um, I ended up finding out because, you know, I was only 17 at the time, uh, that the neck was an authentic Fender neck from 1978, but the body was, uh, 
somebody made it, you know, but I think that that kind of <laughs> that little uh, uh, mashup together really kind of uh, <laughs> it says something about uh, my, the trajectory <laughs> of my life. Um, and so uh, we'll 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 marry up the Saheli with that 1978 uh, half original Fender. Um, Love it. And and then um, I've got a uh, let's see, I've got a 1965 uh Taisco guitar that's Japanese uh this Japanese guitar that's got a really long fretboard on it um and so we're going to measure that up with uh we'll put that with fairy tears so our fairy tears beer is one that we go out and we harvest uh manzanita flowers these tiny little flowers uh very very delicate they've got like uh they've got this tiny little drop of nectar in them and um it's very tedious right and it's it's lucky we have such a small brewery because uh you know picking these flowers generally it's like a whole day going out there and and picking them um but uh the guitar has these let's call them very uh uh floral uh trebles that uh that uh, I've grown, grown quite fond of. Um, so we'll put the, the, the 1965 Tysco with our fairy tears. Um, and lastly, and when you say floral, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just curious because of the no. not knowing. Uh, when you say floral, talking about the instrument, are you talking about the, the sound produced or the aesthetics of it? I'm saying, yeah. So the, and thank you for that, because I've actually never used the word floral in, in terms of a guitar. But I was thinking of the delicate nature of. Uh, so I'm talking about the sound. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. The sound cool. of. Yeah. Yeah. They, Love yeah, it. They, they, uh, it. It like uh, the trebles uh, are able to cut through a lot of stuff without being like harsher twangy so gotcha. uh, so those are so from now on i'm gonna call those florally trebles i love it right? man no i love it <laughs> uh, i bet if i was a musician the, i'd be like the, oh got it but <laughs> <laughs> lastly uh the guitar that i'm playing now is a 60s era harmony that has uh these gold foil pickups um that uh that i've i've grown quite fond of and so we're gonna marry that with um Let's see. Gold foil pickups. Uh, the guitar is red. <laughs> um, oh, I know. Uh, we'll put that with our, we'll put that with our El Quattro, um, which is, uh, it's a, it's a big beer and it's a mahogany deep red color, right? So, uh, we'll, we'll kind of use the, uh, the red color to, to bridge those two. But the best part about it is these gold foil pickups have a little, uh, mustache, uh, kind of uh design on them and that's what we use on our label for the el quattro is a is a mustache image so the uh the 19 ah. the mid 60s harmony goes with uh what goes with their el quattro okay yeah that's fun dude good job <laughs> wow i mean i didn't do shit that was amazing man that was that was fantastic um i um this has been so awesome. Um, and again, in the uh, in the spirit of actually making sure I am able to save it all, <laughs> I'm going. I'm sorry that the the end uh, ha has felt a little rushed, but I the lights keep flickering here. And um, but this has just been so so happen. fantastic, Paul. It's gonna happen. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Yeah. So um, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you get out of here before it does. Uh, thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, and true, very genuinely inspiration. Um, 
Uh, hopefully we meet face to face someday. I uh, definitely well, we'll get it means to Ben a lot, someday. Man. I'm honored. Uh, yeah, and thanks for getting in touch. And let's stay in touch. I'd like to get out there someday and see your little uh, your little place that you're at. Sounds pretty awesome. Shared shared feelings, man. Um, and uh, yeah, please uh, let us know if you're ever even uh, close to Maine, and I'll certainly do the same with you. Um, thank you so much, Paul. That sounds like a great deal, Noah. Thank you so much, man. Cool. I'm in the mood to be slow and careful.